Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm a queer, neurodivergent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm on a mission to spread empathy and create inclusion and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everybody. It's been a while since I've recorded a new episode. Um, Today, I want to share some thoughts on whether being queer is an affliction. So the title of the episode is, Is Queerness an Affliction? And these are a couple of thoughts I have after attending the Gather Conference, which was just this last weekend. And it was, to date, the largest ever um, gathering of LGBTQ plus um, individuals in a Latter-day Saint faith-affirming conference. So it was basically a conference created um, by members of the church upon values of the church um, in a church-affirming, faith-affirming setting, um, but inviting all who want to come, whether they're part of the church, whether they've left the church, whether they're unsure, whether they're not a member of the church, it doesn't really matter. It was just a place for everybody. Um, and it was really interesting experience. Um, I, I found it really, really neat to sit with, there was 1300 people that registered and I don't think they were all there at every moment, obviously, but, um, it was really cool to be in such a large gathering with a lot of very kind, beautiful, um, caring people. It was a group of people who love Jesus Christ, who love others and love themselves and are looking for connection. There was more allowance for um, diversity that stretches beyond the typical um, boundaries you see in church culture of, you know, maybe more piercings or, you know, different styles that you don't always find in a Utah congregation. Um So anyways, I thought that was neat to see a little bit more of the diversity that we have here in Utah County. Um, But I, yeah, I also was surprised that it was, I think that most church members here could have stepped into that um, space. And even if they didn't know what it was or what it was about, I think they would have just assumed, oh, this is a gathering of church members or a gathering of local people talking about some good causes. So I just, I just kind of wanted to spell the, um, maybe some misconceptions, misperceptions. (laughs) I've been sick the last couple days, so forgive me if I make up some new words. (laughs) Um, just wanted to dispel some of those ideas that might not really accurate, accurately represent the situation. Um, another thing just to share like a quick highlight before we dive into the topic um unfortunately i got sick so i've been looking forward to this conference pretty much since it first was announced and the idea was kind of forming and and being announced to the public um and i signed up for it pretty early i was like an early bird (laughs) and um unfortunately like the day before i got pretty sick and so the first day of the conference um i thought i was well enough to go and i ended up having to um go back home after just like an hour and a half because i was too sick, but I rested the rest of the day and luckily 
I was well to go to the second day of the conference. So, but um, one highlight, this was the first presenter at the conference and it was someone who went to BYU Hawaii, which I thought was great because I went to BYU Hawaii. And um, his name was E.S.C. Wilson. And I really appreciated his thoughts on comparing our mortal experience to music. He compared, well, first he started by, it was kind of funny. He started by talking about um, the tritone or what was labeled as the devil's tone um, years and years and years ago, <laughs> century ago, centuries ago, probably. <laughs> um, and that um, this certain chord that carried dissonance and dissonance is when you're playing notes that rather than harmonize and when notes harmonize in case you're not familiar with these terms and with music um if you're looking at the keys of a piano usually a note that's um divide like two spaces apart well one key in between <laughs> this is not a good explanation okay say your thumbs on one key you skip a finger and you play your middle finger on a key and so one key in between if you play most notes like that around the whole piano they'll sound pretty good <laughs> um if you play two notes that are right next to each other so your thumb and your pointer finger notes on the piano there would be created a sound of dissonance which is the sound waves are clashing against each other and it naturally creates this feeling of discomfort in people it's not really like a natural resolved sound for us to hear and um the same is true if you play you know your thumb and your ring finger and your pinky finger. Uh, if you if you put any two notes right next to each other, it usually creates that dissonance in the chord. Um, and so he talked about how being a LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saint, you feel like you're that dissonance sometimes. And that um, your life experience is full of that dissonance. And Years ago, by the church, not by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but <laughs> I'm assuming by the Catholic Church or whatever church was um, politically in charge. I'm thinking that was Catholic, but I need to brush up on my history. Um, labeled that chord with that dissonance, the tritone, as the devil's chord. And um, the speaker goes on to explain that nowadays, that exact chord or that note pattern is used in all music, in pop music, in classical music, and even in our church hymns, in church congregation, and in religious music. They said that dissonance that leads into a resolved chord where you feel the, the sound vibration, the sound waves clashing, and then suddenly they stop clashing and they resolve into harmony. That's what makes music beautiful and brings an emotion to it. And he compared that to the experience of being an LGBTQ plus person in the church is that dissonance in and of itself is not ugly or evil. It's not the devil's note. It's just lacks context because that dissonance plus resolve brings beauty to music. It's what makes music relatable to the human experience. I thought that was such a cool analogy that um, for a lot of people who, and we're talking about is queerness an affliction today, for a lot of people who that feels like an affliction and they feel that dissonance in everything in their life, um, it doesn't mean them being gay 
queer does not mean that they're ugly, that they're inherently evil, that they're corrupted or that they're the devils. No, it just means that they're lacking some context that can help bring beauty into their lives. Um, just like how music that uses that dissonance, it gives context because it gives resolve and it puts that dissonance into a place of beauty where it adds so much meaning. So that was a really cool um, example that he gave. I really loved that. Let's dive in. So random fact about me is I'm not good with suspense. I don't really enjoy suspense. I don't really like surprises. <laughs> um, maybe sometimes, but not always. Um, so I'm just going to blur it out. My, my answer um, to the question is queerness and affliction. And my answer is that that is a really complicated question and it really depends on the person. And I wouldn't claim that queerness in and of itself is an affliction, but I think for a lot of people it is, or it feels that way. So to start off, I noticed at the conference that while I was listening to people's experiences and meeting people, um, I found that there was something I didn't relate to and that was that a lot of people in the queer community within the church context share, or even in a societal context, queer people in general, period, as a minority, a lot of them share a journey of struggle and of rejection, of self-loathing, of wrestling with, with internal battles, of of internal wrestlings with God to discover where their place is in the world. So there was a lot of struggle. And personally, I didn't relate to that a lot. Um, and I realized for me that that big struggle happened in a different place. That happened for me with my mental health crisis and my journey of kind of self-discovery and grounding myself in who I am as a person. And so I think that for me, uh, my battle with OCD would be more of my struggle journey and my battle with shame and some false ideas and beliefs about myself and about who I am and about, um, well, yeah, a lot of it falls into, for me, just that whole journey I took of kind of coming into myself and grounding into myself and um, letting go of a lot of expectations that weren't necessary and instead latching on to the things that actually really matter to me. So I think because for me, I started my journey with depression and anxiety, OCD, and then going through um, my mental health journey of um, working through anxiety, then working through OCD, then learning about my sensory sensitivities and my autistic tendencies or um, the parts of me that, that I identify with in that way. Those all happened before I was able to really recognize um, that I had same-sex attraction or that I, I identify as queer. Um, and so <clears throat> I would consider my same-sex attraction an affliction in the context of my OCD, but OCD was the real affliction, not same-sex attraction. With OCD, it became really hellish where um, same-sex attraction would just send me into these spirals of anxiety and self-loathing and trying to neutralize my fears and you know huge intrusive thoughts and feelings of fears that came with it um now that i've worked through the ocd stuff i don't feel like 
same-sex attraction for me is an affliction. I feel like it's a part of my life that adds humanness and complexity to me and um, helps me empathize with people better. It helps me understand them better. It helps build me understanding between me and people who um, have really struggled with that part of the identity. Um, so people who, um, and Charlie Bird and Ben Shalati are both people who openly share their examples. So I'll use their examples. And they both spoke at the conference I was at. Um, they both went through periods of life where, you know, from a younger age, a pretty young age, they knew that they were not attracted to women at all and that they were attracted to men. And they knew that that was incompatible with their faith and their ideas of what they were going to be when they grew up, you know, from their current mental context. Um, and so they both had these experiences of a lot of self-loathing, a lot of shame, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of feelings of isolation, a lot of feeling that they couldn't exist completely, you know, with in a world just that really, and David Archuleta has expressed a similar experience where um, trying to discover, can I even exist in a world where I believe in a God who forbade me from acting on these feelings, but also a God who made me and apparently made me with these feelings. Um, so a really complex thing to navigate there. And so for some people, including Megan Decker shares in her um in her book too, there's a lot of depression attached to her same-sex attraction. And um, and Megan Ecker didn't grow up in um, a Latter-day Saint context um, her whole life. So even without the layer of the church culture and church teachings um, and that context, it was still a really huge struggle for um, Megan Decker um, growing up in the time period when she was a child. Um, so... Anyways, those are uh, experiences that I don't relate to as someone who I kind of had these layers of um, things that I learned first about myself. Um, for example, getting my OCD diagnosis and coming to recognize what role anxiety played in my life. Um, and then with working through those and then um, learning kind of about autism and about which pieces of that I really identify with and was able to find vocabulary to describe my experiences. Um, the depression, my depression, depression I've experienced in my life and isolation and loneliness just kind of went away piece by piece along with each of those things that I learned. And then coming to accept my same sex attractions and that queer part of me, um, kind of, I feel like I let go of that last piece of depression in my life. Um, so that's very different. And also, um, I went through this journey after I was already married with children and happily married in a, in a marriage where I feel very safe and secure and valued and connected. And so it's a very different context that I kind of made this journey into coming out and becoming aware of myself more um, and about the attractions I feel. Um, very different experience than many other people that are part of this community. And a lot of people in the community share the same experience that Megan Decker or Charlie Bird or Ben Shalati um, share. And that's one reason why their stories are so healing for so many people um, who are queer within a church, the church context. Um, so that's one thing I noticed is that um, queerness 
same-sex attraction um, plays very different roles in different people's lives as far as how much space it takes up. So like, I imagine if we're all wearing, you know, a backpack that holds our life struggles, our life situations, our internal experiences, our unique things about us. Some people, um, their being gay, you know, feels like it takes up that entire backpack. Um, and that's kind of how I hear stories like Megan Decker's or Ben Schlatty or Charlie Bird's that growing up, you know, maybe before puberty, maybe during puberty and after that this same-sex attraction grew and grew until it kind of consumed their whole backpack of like, this was the defining experience that helped them um, how they saw themselves, which was poorly for a long time. This was um, a big piece that created a lot of isolation and, and social barriers in their life. This was a big secret they needed to hide. But along with those um, struggles came beautiful, you know, refining experiences too of, um, for a lot of people who this um, same-sex attraction or their queer identity um, feels like one of the biggest things in their lives. It's also often one of the things that drove them most to their knees and to the savior and, and brought them in to communicate with God in a way that was deeper and closer than ever, even though maybe at first there was a barrier, but later they decided to finally let go of their shame and come to God and, and discover their divinity in his eyes. And so I see that, that though queerness does feel like an affliction for some people, I've also seen a lot of people that um, have really chosen to grow and be strengthened and become grounded in ways that are truly incredible because of their experience as a queer person. Um, Charlie Bird's testimony at the event was just so powerful and you could see that he had let go of shame. And I think it's interesting too. This is another point I want to make. Um, I'm getting out of order here, but <laughs> okay. So I already made the point that, um, different people have different experiences with their same-sex attraction and how much space it takes up in their life and how, how much it defines them um, or their experiences. Um, I've also noticed that um, Charlie Bird and several other speakers um, mentioned that they, they came to a point in their life where they just had, they were fighting these feelings of shame and self-loathing and disgust with themselves. And they finally had to get to a point where they just said, you know what, God, like, I'm tired of, you know, fighting of, um, not tired of fighting, but what I'm saying is that they're tired of like loathing themselves and fighting themselves. They're not fighting anybody or anything. They're fighting themselves. And I think that's shame, the shame, this idea that, you know, I'm not good. I'm not worthy of speaking to God just because of a feeling I have, because of an identity that I was born with, um, or this human experience that I, that I was born with or that just came to me, you know, through puberty or whatever. Not something that, that these people chose, something that just, that was just part of their lot in life, part of their human experience and their diversity. And there was so much self-loathing and self-hatred and disgust and shame and isolation. And there's a point where he finally just gave that up and said like, God, I really need to know, you know, if you love me as I am, even being gay. And I noticed that was a reoccurring theme with Charlie Bird and Megan Decker and many speakers 
where they had this closeness to God because they finally let go of that shame and they felt his love fill them up. You know, God saying, I've been here all along and I've always loved you this way. And I'm so glad that now you're letting it into your life and that you're feeling it. And they didn't feel it because they stopped being gay or because they stopped having same-sex attraction. They felt God's love pour into their life because they finally let go of that shame, of that internal block of, I couldn't possibly be worthy of that huge and good and feeling love that God has to offer me. I couldn't possibly be worthy to be one of his children. And then God comes and says, I, you, you are one of my children. Nothing can change that. And so I saw this huge resilience and this huge um, depth of conversion and testimony and strength in um, so many people who shared experiences of how their same-sex attraction led them to let go of shame and come closer to God. And I want to clarify that to me, okay, shame and God's commandments are two completely separate things. Um, I think often we think that, you know, somebody like somebody's lifestyle is getting in the way of them and God's love, which I would disagree with. I think that God's love doesn't change for anybody. I do think that um, following God's commandments and choosing um, to connect with him in the ways that he has told us will bring connection helps us feel more of his guidance, more of his love, um, a deeper connection that we can hold on to. Um, but his love is always there. I see our relationship with God. We talk about our relationship with God and strengthening it. Um, relationship has multiple definitions. And I would say there's relationship as in lineage or blood connection, or, you know, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I'm your friend. That's a relationship. But there's also a relationship as in a connection. And so our relationship with God as his child is unchanging. And that's a grounding eternal truth that God has taught us. That no matter what we do, no matter what we get ourselves into, no matter how we choose to live our lives, we'll always be his child, period. That's just, we can't make that go away. We can't make his love for us as a parent go away. As our creator, we can't make that love that he has for us as a creator go away. Um, we can choose what to invest in our connection with him. I think about a parent and a, an adult child, the, their relationship as parent-child doesn't change just because the parent, um, the, the adult child moves out of the house, but they can choose how much to invest in that connection that they share um, through phone calls or visits or things like that. And so um, I see that as being our choice of we get to choose how much to invest in our connection with God. He's investing unlimited amounts. <laughs> He's right there for the connection. Um, if we're willing to, to um, choose connection on our side as well, we can feel that more in our lives. Um, so what I see happening here is that God gives us commandments as ways of telling us, here's how you can strengthen the connection that you experience with me. And here's how you can ground yourself in my teachings and in my love for you. But me loving you, me being your father, your creator, that's not going to change. And you don't have any power to change that. You don't have power to make me love you more or less. It's just always going to be there. That love's always going to be there. Um, and so that's, and then shame I see as um, one of Satan's tools or just part of the human experience. I, I like to label it as, um, you know, Satan's first tool because this is what he did with Adam and Eve um, right away from the beginning. 
But it's also, I think a lot of people would just say this, even if they're not religious, like I am, they might just say this is a common human experience, shame. And shame is a belief that I am bad. I am, um, I, as a person, am unworthy. Not, I'm a person who has done something that is unworthy, or I'm a person that has done something that was bad, but I myself am bad. I myself should be hidden from God or from others or from goodness. I myself don't deserve goodness. Um, and so I think a lot of times in a very judgmental frame of mind, we might look at someone who is gay or in a same-sex relationship and think, you know, they can't feel God's love because of this choice they made or because they chose to be gay or something like that. And my perspective on this is that from what I, I witnessed at the conference from a lot of beautiful people was that the disconnect from God was coming from shame. And shame is one of Satan's tools. I think God always desires to give us his love. And yes, he does desire for us to follow him and the things he asks us to do to increase our connection, to increase our close, um, our feelings of, of security and closeness with him. But I think that his love is available to all and that shame is often the culprit of why people aren't able to feel that love. Because God, I think most of us have experienced this, but God will meet you in the darkest, ugliest place of your life. Yes, um, unclean things can't be in his presence, can't come into his presence, but we've, I've seen that he's willing to find me if I want him, if Christ is knocking on that door, if I'm willing to open it, he's willing to meet me um, anywhere if my heart is willing. And if my desires are for him to come and be with me. So I didn't, I didn't say that perfectly. And I'm not trying to um, say that I know the answers or that this is perfect doctrine or something, but I'm expressing my beliefs and some of the things I observed. Um, so I do think that um, some people may consider um, same-sex attraction or queerness as an affliction. Um, personally, I don't. That's not my current belief is not that it's an, is that it's not an affliction. It's part of human diversity, human experience. And kind of like, I wouldn't say that, um, I don't know. There's a lot of human diversity that I wouldn't say is an affliction. Um, but I would say that the way that we interact with that experience can be an affliction. So for me with my OCD, grabbing on to the same sex attraction, and manipulating it and filling me with fears and depression and paralyzing me that that was an affliction for me that ocd and that um in that suffering i have this um idea that <laughs> and it's not my idea i got it from um i got it from the classes i was studying to be a childbirth educator um that suffering and pain are different that pain is something we experience um, like a physical body sensation. Um, pain, like breaking your leg and your body is screaming at you. Something is wrong with your body right now. Um, suffering, I think, is a perception, an internal experience 
um, of fear and of isolation. So in the childbirth context, um, someone could experience pain in childbirth without suffering. I've had that experience. We're like, my body is experiencing very strong sensations, a sensation which could be labeled as pain, but I'm not perceiving it as suffering because I know I'm not in danger and I know that I'm in a safe place and I'm not alone. Um, on the other hand, you could be in a place where you're experiencing pain and suffering, where you perceive the situation as being dangerous and as you being alone or isolated. Um, and I don't think we choose suffering necessarily, but I do think in some cases, for example, with some childbirth experiences, there is kind of this um, ability, if you're mentally um, prepared um, and have support and love and safety, there is a, an ability to take the suffering piece away. And that's why I think why people claim like childbirth without pain, you know, <laughs> I think maybe what they're claiming, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know. But in my mind, I think that this is around the idea of without the suffering, the mental fear and ice and that, that fear of danger, um, which actually that, that fear increases physical pain. So, um, which can be described by <laughs> causing your body to have a fight or flight response. This was not meant to be a podcast episode about childbirth, but <laughs> when you're, when you sense danger, your body goes into fight or flight, which causes your body to tense and to prepare um, to escape or to fight um, or to freeze. And so obviously that hinders childbirth for obvious reasons, um, which increases pain because there's more difficulty there. So anyways, um, that's kind of how I'm perceiving some of this question of is queerness an affliction? I think that um, there are cases where it really does. Yeah. And they might, there's cases where people have been killed and persecuted and hurt because of their queerness. So maybe I would see those things as the affliction um, rather than their own queerness. And, but I also think that in the church culture, especially, or in conservative cultures, that queerness becomes an affliction in a way because of, oh, an alarm. I better get going. <laughs> I better wrap up this podcast episode. Um, because of our mental perception that that same-sex attraction is threatening, dangerous, isolating. It, it increases shame. And shame, That's that causes a lot of suffering. Um, isolation, um, that causes, that's an affliction. You know, loneliness. Loneliness is an affliction. Depression is an affliction. And so I think that the mental way we interact with this can really um, affect whether or not um, queerness feels like an affliction. Um, I don't know. This is These are incomplete thoughts, but these are my thoughts on it. And I'd love to hear what you think in the comments or um, feel free to send an email my way. Um, the podcast email is empathybuildingpodcast at gmail.com. All opinions expressed in this podcast are my own. I do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And you know what? Instead of saying, have a great day, I'm going to say, have a day. It might be a good one. It might not. And that's okay. Keep growing. Keep loving yourself. You've got this.